What video game brand is more than 100 years old? Really? What animal kills more humans than any other? Humans. <laughs> well, we'll find the answer to that and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. We do this for the Cedarburg Public Library's internet radio station every week, and we love learning new facts. So I've got one, Marsh. Do you? <laughs> What video game brand is more than 100 years old? Well, it wasn't a video game a hundred years ago, obviously. Bingo! Uh, <laughs> but, but it was the same name. The company it was the, was the same. same. I'll say Nintendo. That is exactly right. I and am so wise. You probably remember how they got started. What were they making? It had to do with games and gaming. No, I don't. Playing cards. Oh, really? They made really? playing cards. It remains one of the major video game companies today, but it was founded in Japan in 1889 as a playing card manufacturer. So 1889, you could say it's been in gaming for 130 yeah, years. Yeah, you could say that, but you didn't say that. You said, what video? What video game brand? Yeah. Okay. I was correct. Yes, you were. Also, remember one of the first video game brands we had in this country, the Magnavox Odyssey? <laughs> No. You remember that? My family had one of those. They had Pong and other games uh -huh. in it. It was called the Magnavox Odyssey. Well, uh -huh. that's how Nintendo got in the video game business. Over the years, they made toys, and they were hired by Magnavox to produce light toys, optoelectronic guns. They were like pointing device shaped like a revolver. You'd aim it at the screen. Oh, So I, that was the thing that got them into the video business. That was in 1972. And two years after that, Magnavox licensed Nintendo. You could sell our system oh, in your country. All right. And from there, they went into arcade games and started making their own products. But I always wondered how Nintendo got involved in video games. Yeah, they yeah. were a distributor of okay. the Magnavox Odyssey all game. All right. Fascinating. Yes, it is, Marsh. <laughs> okay, Bob. What animal kills the most humans every year? I think it's human beings, isn't it? Other human oh, beings? Not in my answer. What regular animal, not the, human animal, kills the most humans every year? What non-human animal kills the most humans every, every year? Every year, yes. Okay. Um, well, I would say, let's see, it's got to be something, like, I think of things like bears and things like that, but it's got to be something like an insect, maybe a mosquito. Be maybe you're right. Am I? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Mosquitoes hold the record by far. It's responsible for between 725,000 and 1 million deaths a year. Holy cow. Isn't that something? A yeah. million deaths a year. Mosquitoes. From mosquito bites. Yeah, that makes you want to stay in the screen porch forever. Well, and a lot of this is in countries where there's yeah. still malaria and yeah. things like that that are spread by mosquitoes, yeah. correct? Correct. It's not necessarily your garden variety mosquito in your house. It yeah. could be something that's got a disease or something. And look, I got I got bit right over here to, when out raking the lawn. This is radio, Marsh. Nobody oh. knows. <laughs> But you can see me. Let me take a look at that. Whoa, that looks bad. <laughs> you can. You should see a doctor. <laughs> All right. Speaking of animals, how many ants are there for every human being? This is a fact I learned oh, the other day. Oh, God. I did read some ant trivia today, which well, I chose not to use. Because oh, well, it's... 
It's big stuff. What do you mean? He chose not <laughs> no, to use? Okay, I'll say every human being on Earth has uh, this many, 675,000 ants. 675,000 ants for every, every human, human being. being on Earth. Well, you're a little off. Okay. <laughs> 2.5 million. No. Yeah. Really? How did they figure this out? They, yeah. they did an ant census. Because naturalists worry about insect populations, they do try to keep track of them through surveys. So University of Hong Kong, Dr. Patrick Schultheis and his colleagues did a global survey. Honey, will you go out and count the ants today? Do they fill out little forms? Okay, I live in this couple here. I'm in that hill over there. No, it's not like that. Published in 2022 by the National Academy of Sciences, they found that there are ants, working ants on every continent except one. Which one? North America. They're all on strike here. No, no. (laughs) Working ants on every continent except which one? Antarctica. That's right. Antarctica. Get it? Ironically named. Yeah. There are no ants in Antarctica. Antarctica. That's a good fact to keep in mind. But worldwide, the ant population is projected to be 20 quadrillion. That's the number 20 with 15 zeros behind it. And that means there are at least 2.5 million ants for every human being. It's good to know. All right. That's the kind of trivia that keeps people coming back every week. (laughs) (laughs) Better move on to something else. Okay. If a tree falls in the forest, Bob, and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Of course it makes a sound. Well, it's just vibrations, actually. But there's somebody there or something there to hear it. Even the smallest ant. (laughs) So the answer is no, it's just vibrations. You know, and if there's no hearing instrument to decode what those vibrations mean, it's quiet, it's silent. That is correct. You have to define sound to answer that age-old question. All right, how do you define sound? Well, if you define it as vibrating air, which I believe you just did. I believe I did. The falling tree makes a sound. But if you define it as a conscious experience... The lonesome falling tree does not make a sound. Mm. Even if there's nobody there and there's a tape recorder there with a microphone, the sound vibrations go off in the tape recorder. So it makes a sound, but it has to have a receptacle. So the answer is, oh, are are you rolling your eyes at me? I'm sorry, am I? I saw you doing that to me a while ago with my question. So yes, I am. I'm returning the favor. So again. So if there's no one around to hear the tree when it falls, there's no sensory apparatus for the vibrating air to interact with, then no conscious noise will be heard. In other words, the answer is no. It could be simple to say that, wouldn't it? But no, we had to go off and talk a paragraph about it. All right, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to a much more complex question. What TV star's face was used for the killer's mask in the film Halloween? Oh, really? Oh, that is a person. Is it a person I know? It's a famous TV star. It is? Yep. Was it like... uh, Like, uh, who's that guy? I'm thinking, was he in cowboy movies? No, he wasn't in cowboy movies. He was in space movies. Space movies and space TV shows. Oh, it wasn't uh, Kirk. Yes, it was Captain Kirk. Really? Yeah. See, we're talking about the mask that was worn by Michael Myers in John Carpenter's 1978 film Halloween. Now, that was done on a small budget, Uh okay? And it was a mask of Star Trek Captain James T. Kirk based on William Shatner's face. The production crew bought it at a novelty store and spray-painted it white. Really? Yes. Oh, that's funny. And today those masks cost upwards of 50 to $250 oh, on the web. Wow. Not even a good likeness of him. It's kind of a cheap-looking, weird mask yeah, yeah, with I never false thought, hair and everything. Yeah, I never thought of that being him. But I didn't either. But they, now I will look for it. Yeah. 
All right. That uh, that source that comes from Britannica, Britannica Inc. Why do we call a bad dream a nightmare? Oh, that's a good question. A nightmare? Is it a horse that runs through the night and scares people or something like that? That's very intuitive of you, Bob. Well. And totally wrong. Oh, okay. The word mare is an old English term for demon, and it comes from the same root as murderer. Oh, really? So, ergo, the demon or mare that visits at night was called a nightmare. Hmm. So how about that? The demon. So it means demon. It doesn't mean horse. Right. (laughs) It changes everything. It does, doesn't it? (laughs) All right, there's your word uh, source today. Okay, so this changed everything, the death of Queen Elizabeth II. I found an interesting article on what changes in England. When a king or queen dies, what happens to all the images and insignia on stamps, mailbox, currency, and so forth, you know? Yeah. So the queen's image has been on stamps and mailboxes. For a long time. Yeah, for, for, 80 for years. years. Yeah. So stamps, those stamps will still be valid, but a king or queen may not be on future stamps because the Royal Mail is moving to barcodes for stamps. So they may You're not- You're kidding, they're getting rid of the face? Well, they don't know for sure, but they're moving in that direction. I don't care for that. I want a face or a puppy or something. Now, the interesting thing is since the 1680s, now this goes for coins too, since the 1680s, new kings or queens have usually faced the opposite direction of their predecessors. So, since Queen Elizabeth faced right on coins, King Charles will probably be facing left. And since she faced left on stamps, he'll probably be facing right. It's just kind of a weird thing. Uh, There are mailboxes. There are British mailboxes have the insignia of a crown over the characters E, the Roman numeral 2, and R. What does that stand for? Crown over the characters E, the Roman numeral 2, and R. European Republic? No, yeah. Elizabeth oh. the second. Uh-huh. R. Regina, meaning the head of state. Didn't know that. And the, those will remain intact. They have 115,000 of those in England. They'll, they'll stay there till they probably, you know, get rid of mailboxes. Yeah. How many British Bank of England currency notes do you think are in circulation? These have Queen Elizabeth's face on them. Well, give me a ballpark, Bob. Okay. How many billions? Really? Yeah. billion Bank of England currency notes. Wow. That's worth about 94 billion U.S. dollars. All right, one more question here. Uh, All right. How many British coins are in circulation with the Queen's image? How many British coins do you think there are out there? I have no idea. I'll say 4.7 billion. Well, you're off a little bit. Okay, 15 billion. (laughs) Well, you're off a little bit. <laughs> 20 billion. 29 billion. 29 British billion. British coins in circulation with the Queen's face on them. Oh, it's going to take of, a while for those to wear out. You think of all the ones we still find with Caesar's name on them. They, they didn't have billions of coins back then. They may have had thousands or hundreds of thousands, but billions. So how long is it going to take to get rid of all those? That'll be interesting. And then uh, the Royal Coat of Arms, that's also something that will be changing. If you are a company and you sell to the royal family, you can have permission to advertise that fact. Oh, that's curious. Yeah. I like that. You put a little royal coat yeah. of arms and advertise by displaying you know, that. So there are companies from Burberry, the clothing factory, yeah. to Heinz Ketchup have used Queen Elizabeth's coat of arms. No kidding. And at the time of Heinz her death, Ketchup. they were given two years to continue with that insignia. After that, Heinz must update all ketchup bottles that circulate in Britain. Just the packaging, not the ketchup. I'll be done. That's from an article called The Sun is Setting on a British Imprint from Hmm. the New York Times. 
Speaking of Queen Elizabeth, I have a Queen Elizabeth the first question. Oh, okay. Okay. The backgrounds of portraits of royalty, they're filled with symbolism. So what do the pomegranates and pears behind the first Queen Elizabeth in one of her portraits symbolize? Fruitful, you know, giving birth to future generations of monarchs. That's the idea. You're right. You're right. According to the New York Times, the earliest surviving full-length portrait of Elizabeth, this is from the 1560s, features, in the word of the Times, a riot of pomegranates and pears behind her, and they were meant to advertise her youth and fecunditry. Yeah. The ability to bear children. What a terrible word. Fecunditry. Yes. Go forth and multiply, But of course, she reigned for 44 years and despite many suitors, never married and had no children. Do you know that there were concerns about who would succeed her from the very moment she took over as queen? The parliament petitioned her to marry and produce an heir almost immediately. Really? Yeah. But uh, early in her reign, she proclaimed she would not marry because she was, quote, already bound unto a husband, which is the kingdom of England. Yep, she was married to the country. So in the words of the Royal Museum, Elizabeth sacrificed her personal happiness for the good of the state. That's Elizabeth I. She fooled around a lot, though, didn't she? I don't know, Marsh. I wasn't there. Any other rumors you want to (laughs) suggest? Spread. (laughs) Spread here. All right, Bob. Bob Dylan. Yes. Did, Did you know he just wrote a book? Yes, another book. He's written several. Yeah, this one's called The Philosophy of a Modern Song. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he looks at other songs, not necessarily his. Yeah, mostly, I think, other songs. Okay. What does he have to say about Little Richard's 1955 hit, Tutti Fruity? Oh, Rudy. Other Tutti than the fruity. fact that he liked it, because he was a teenager back then. I, I don't know. What does he call it? He calls it one of the most influential songs of all time. He says it's arguably created rock and roll as we know it today. This is a quote from Mr. Dillon. He took speaking in tongues right out of the canvas tent and put it onto the mainstream radio. Well, that's true, you know. I I don't get the speaking in tongues part. Tutti frutti, oh, Rudy. It doesn't make any sense. It's speaking in tongues. I never heard tongues be so perky. (laughs) And Elvis said the same thing. What is interesting about this is we, I think a lot of us think of Bob Dylan as this very stoic, serious guy when actually you read parts of that book and it's like, no, this guy liked to have fun and he thought these were very interesting songs. He does the Who, some of the Who songs and other songs, people you wouldn't think Bob Dylan would have any interest in. Uh-huh. It's fascinating, I thought. Yeah. All right, here's another celebrity who you wouldn't imagine did this. What extreme sport did Agatha Christie help popularize? Extreme sport. <laughs> I don't think of it as an extreme bungee, sport. Bungee jumping? No. Uh, now, a lot of people do it today, but it was very unusual back then. Water skiing? Not water skiing. Uh, snow skiing. Surfing. Surfing, yeah. okay. Hard oh. to think of the mystery writer as an athlete, but she was. Best known for her murder mysteries, Agatha Christie was also an avid surfer. You know, I know that because I read this book about uh, uh, about her. And really? To, yeah, she used to love to go surfing. And we're not talking about body surfing where you lay down on the board. Yeah. She is believed to be the first British woman to surf standing up. Isn't that fascinating? I just yes. never think of her that way. Yes, yes. She'd like to do that while her husband was out cheating on her. Well, that's true. Yes. But I mean, you know, murder on the Orient <laughs> Express, and I'm going to go surfing. You yeah. know, they just don't yeah. seem to go together. That's that's interesting. All right. Well, let's take a break now. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. 
We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, Bob, what mammal accounts for 95% of regrowth in cleared tropical forests? What mammal? Uh-huh. Accounts for 95% of... Regrowth. Really? So a mammal helps regrowth of plants? Tropical forests in cleared, you know, when they get cleared. And there's one mammal that does more than any other. In damage to the forest or? No, to repopulate Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know what. The bat. Well, explain. Uh, (laughs) Lucy, bat drop seeds can account for up to 95% of the regrowth in cleared forests. Oh, no kidding. Yep, especially in tropical areas. They combat deforestation by dropping seeds over barren areas. They're fascinating. Now, are the seeds in their feces? You said bat droppings, right? No, I said bat-dropped seeds. Bat-dropped seeds. Wow. Bats account for 21% of all the mammals in the world. 21%? Yeah. And they've been around for over 50 million years, Bob which explained why why they're so fine-tuned as part of our ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Anyway, nectar-eating bats are master pollinators Hmm. uh, of more than 500 plant species. See, I would not think of that. I I wouldn't have. Think of bats in caves and, you know, all that And that includes cocoa for chocolate, agave for tequila. Uh, So you don't want these animals to disappear. So Uh, all those things are a reason that they exist is because of bats? Thanks to their ability to fly and transport pollen further than bees. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, they're nature's bug zappers, and they keep the mosquito moth and beetle populations in check. They're really quite amazing. They are amazing with that sonar-like or radar-like, you know, able to see things through the sound, you know. And scientists estimate that they save U.S. farmers a billion dollars a year in pesticides and crop damage because they keep insects away. All right. Marcia, you know the UNESCO designation. It's a United Nations designation for historic sites, things that should be saved and Uh preserved. (laughs) Why is Quebec, Canada a UNESCO historic site? What's there that they think of as being worthy of? Is it that humongous hotel? It's partly that, yes. It's the Chateau Frontenac. That's it, Frontenac. I want to go there. Historic hotel that towers over that city. And then tourists can also visit the 200-year-old Citadel de Quebec, the largest British-built fortress in North America, and a 400-year-old monastery. They've preserved their ramparts and other defensive works like gates and bastions like almost no other city in North America. So that's uh, why Quebec is considered a UNESCO historic site. Also, because my great-grandfather landed there from Paris. That's right, he did. I'd what like to go name? there. Michael or no, Matt? Mitchell. Mitchell Druin. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Druin. Druin. I'm sorry. Druin. <laughs> it always sounds like somebody's got a Drouin. sinus problem when you do that. It does. Michael Druin. Flu season, Bob. Okay. It's flu season again. Mm-hmm. Where did we get the term flu? Influenza. Yeah, where does that come from? It comes from a Latin word. Okay. Influentia, which means influence. No kidding. It was used to describe epidemics in the 1700s because it was believed disease was ordained or influenced by the heaven and the stars. I had no idea that's where that came from. Isn't that nuts? So it was like this is ordained by God or ordained by the heavens. Heavens and the stars. If you had an epidemic or something nasty going around, it was the stars and 
heavens were angry at Jeez. you. Jeez. Just good to know. You didn't have much influence. They had a lot more influence than yeah, you had, apparently. Yeah, I thought that was very curious. Wow. Okay, we were talking about hauntings, and we talked about Halloween a moment ago there with that uh, mask of William Shatner. What British queen is said to haunt the Tower of London? What British queen? Is it, uh, is it Mary? No, it's not Queen Mary. It's one of uh, Henry VIII's wives. Oh, uh, Anne Boleyn? Anne Boleyn, yes. After failing to give the king a son and being oh, accused yeah. of treason, she was executed on the Tower Green in 1536. And legend says that her ghost is one of many that still haunts the grounds of the tower. I would haunt it too, especially that ass. But anyway, what? <laughs> say what? What natural material, Bob, is five times stronger than steel and can stop bullets? A natural material. Uh huh. Is it oak, wood? No. This is made actually by an animal in nature. It's not silk. Yes. Silk? Spider silk. Really? Yeah. According to nature.com, spider silk is the toughest fiber found in nature and can be stretched or pulled, and it can absorb more energy than steel or nylon without rupturing. They can make bulletproof vests out of it and everything. Wow. It's uh, It's like Kevlar then. Only Kevlar is woven synthetically, but this is... This is the real thing. Yeah, spider silk. Who Jeez. knew it had such power? Nature.com went live. Didn't it? <laughs> okay, okay, Bob. How long was the shortest war in history? Oh, I think I know the answer to that. This was a British war against an African colony, and it lasted like 20 minutes or something like that? Well, very good. 38 minutes. 38. And it was between England and Zanzibar mm. in 1896. It was over sultan succession. They each wanted someone else to succeed Jeez. the past sultan. And obviously uh, very mismatched. The British were very much yeah. more powerful. 38 minutes later, Britain won. <laughs> Jeez. Well, okay. Thanks. That's funny, but it's not funny because people actually died. Uh, of course. Yeah. What was the longest war in human history? The longest war? The Ten Years' War? No. Okay, so there were wars that went on and on and on. The Crusades went on for a hundred or more years because they were multiple crusades. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't know the answer to that. Well, it was 781 years. The Reconquista. Reconquista? Yeah. What is that? It's almost eight centuries long. It was a war fought by the Christian kingdoms of Spain and Portugal to reclaim the Iberian Peninsula from the Muslim Moors. Oh. Millions of deaths later, and almost 800 years, the Christians won. 800 years they fought, and that's that little slice of peninsula. I'm sure it's just what Christ would have wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I I couldn't believe that number. 800 years. So we got 38 minutes for the shortest and 781 years for the longest. Oh, dear Lord, that sounds horrible. For Iberia. Yeah. Can you imagine that generations after generation of families, it was just a constant war? Millions of people died got one more to make you laugh. How long is the longest puff corn, or as we Americans know it, the Cheeto? <laughs> the longest puff corn? Yes. That's what they're called in other places? In England it is. The puff corn. And that's where the, the longest one ever made is. And I got this right out of Guinness, Books of World Records. Okay, the right. longest puff corn. Which is a Cheeto. So, what, they made it as long as a table or something like that? Maybe. Well, give me, give me <laughs> okay. a guess. Okay, I'll say it's 20 feet long. Yeah, that would be crazy, Bob. 
Okay. This one's 34 feet and 11 <laughs> inches. <laughs> oh, my God. In August 2020, uh, United Kingdom snack food company called Walker's produced a 30-foot, 11-inch Cheeto. It took an eight-person team two hours and 29 minutes to make the supersized snack, which had to be hand-baked because it couldn't fit into any ovens. Oh, my goodness. And it, it's now mounted for display on the factory wall. Jeez, that's just hard to believe, isn't With- it? Put it on the factory wall. Nobody ate it. No. Do you think somebody on break goes, you know, I'm yeah, kind of hungry. I'm just going to have a nibble up there. <laughs> if you make them all day, I would think it wouldn't be uh, that tantalizing. We talked about this once, the word et cetera. What does et cetera mean? Do you remember that? Uh, yes, but I don't remember the answer. Et cetera means and other things. Okay. Or and the rest. But that's why grammarians think you actually should never refer to people. You say, oh, you know, Nancy, Bill, etc. That's not true. You should never use that. What should you use if you're speaking of people? At all. At all. That means and others. So I was right again? Yes, you're right again, uh. Marsh. All right. And one more. Okay. Sick. S-I-C. You know, you read something and you see yeah. sick. And usually that's before something that this doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. You know, or this yeah. is written poorly right. or wrong. Right. What does they're... it actually mean? Oh. What does the Latin phrase S-I-C stand for? I don't know the phrase, but it means the uh, way it was actually said. So, Not said. Uh, written. The Latin phrase sic erat scriptum means oh, yeah. thus it was written. It's actually used when you're citing text and the cited work has mistakes in it, like grammar or spelling errors. Yeah. But people, you know, use it as a kind of a snarky thing when they write. Well, you'll see it in the newspapers, uh, New York Times or Journal or anything. Uh, If people misspeak, they will put sick. Yeah, but it actually, it meant as written. Thus it was written or the way it was written. I believe you. I was right a lot today. Yes, you were. (laughs) Yes. And yes, very impressive today, Marcia. Yes. Very impressive. Popping off the real exciting. Absolutely. It popped off a lot. (laughs) In the right way. Well, you knew the shortest war. You knew that. That was pretty impressive. Not the longest, but the shortest. Yeah. Okay. All right. Time for my quotes, Bob. I'm going to give you the quote, and you'll tell me who said it. Will the people in the cheaper seats clap your hands? All the rest of you, if you'll just rattle your jewelry. John Lennon said that when the Beatles performed at the Royal Albert Hall. What was that, 1963 or something like that? That was, I have no idea. I just have the quote. It's so funny, though. It's just so Beatles. They were just so, they didn't worry about what they said to people. Yeah, he was pretty clever. Okay, this is Melville Landon. He said, a bore is a man who spends so much time talking about himself that you can't talk about yourself. <laughs> that is a bore. It is. They don't give me enough time to talk about me. <laughs> Let's see. I have interesting stories. Can I just do one more quote? Okay. It's by Roseanne. Okay. Uh, I figure when my husband comes home from work, if the kids are still alive, then I've done my job. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that says a lot more about her household than we really probably should know, right? Uh, and Oh, I got so many good ones here. What you got? Irony is when you buy a suit with two pairs of pants and then burn a hole in the coat. <laughs> <laughs> irony. <laughs> okay. All right. That's it for today. We hope you join us when we return with more fun facts and trivia next time here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. Dun, 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 da, dun, 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 that's that's da, dun, Jeopardy, Marshall. Oh, okay. We have our own theme. Oh, yeah. It's this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember. See? You, you've heard this one before. <laughs> it's bouncy. I like it. Yes. 
The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.